1: We start another week on Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut, and it is a chilly day here in Atlanta, which does my Chicago heart good, but which I know many people don't like at all. And as I just looked at temperatures across the state. It's in the mid-30s here. I saw that up in Rome, Georgia, it's like 27 degrees. Albany is 40 degrees. Clayton, 36 degrees. Savannah, 46. I'm not trying to do a weather report, but the point is, it is chilly across the state, of Georgia today, which does not mean that um, we are not seeing a very heated campaign for the U.S. Senate continuing to unfold here in the state. Uh, Let's get right to the panel. Uh, I'm joined today by Shannon McCaffrey, who has been covering the uh, Senate race for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And Shannon, it's a real pleasure to have you with us today. Thanks for being here.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: We're also joined uh, by uh, two of our favorite professors, uh, Professor Andra Gillespie, political science professor, as you all know, at uh, Emory University, and also the director of the James Weldon Johnson Institute for the Study of Race and Difference. How are you this morning, Andra? Are you getting set for a good Thanksgiving? I will
2: have a good Thanksgiving. We've
1: got to get through the next couple of days of work, though. I'm, I'm feeling that. I get what you're saying. And Ellen Abramowitz is back with us he is a professor emeritus of political science at Emory University. But Alan, just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. You've been teaching classes on the uh, two thousand and twenty-two midterms, even though you've basically retired from day-to-day teaching. Yes,
3: I have. I'm teaching a senior seminar, <clears throat> which has been interesting. where students are made their predictions, and we held a prediction contest,
1: and some of them did quite well. Mm-hmm. They did quite well in the general election outcome?
3: Yeah. Yeah, some of them did, yeah.
1: Okay. So,
3: some of them did better. Um, a couple did better than me. Let's put it that way.
1: Okay. Uh, <laughs> let's get right to uh, a story that developed after we went off the air on Friday. Um, as uh, most of you know, uh, the Secretary of State's office had uh, had said that a state law— uh, was going to prevent them from offering a Saturday of early voting across the state, statewide. Um, The uh, Warnock campaign went into court to challenge that decision by the secretary of state, saying uh, there should be Saturday voting. And in fact, on Friday, again, after we went off the air, Fulton County Superior Court Judge Thomas Cox ruled that, yes, indeed, Uh, There should be one Saturday of early voting, and it will take place um, a week at the end of next week. Um, So I want to talk a little bit about that decision, and and let me just lay out what happened in court. Um, Cox questioned why it was that early voting was allowed on Saturday, December 26th in 2020, the day after Christmas, where (laughs) 15,000-plus voters cast their ballots, and he said to the um, state defending the decision not to have early voting, I work during the week, and on the weekend you have more time. There are other Georgians who may only have limited time off, and that may be Saturday. What do you say to that? And the state responded that there are many options available to to voters, so no one's right to vote is being denied. We agree that it may be more convenient for some voters to offer Saturday voting, But again, that's not really the issue before the court, the state arguing that state law uh, prevented it. All right. So now at this point, the secretary of state's office says they're going to appeal this ruling. But this is Thanksgiving week and the chances of this getting anywhere in court may be pretty unlikely. All right. All that said, what does this mean? Shannon, let me start with you. Um, The Warnock people are the ones who um, went to court over this do they really believe that this having one early Saturday of voting is going to benefit their campaign
0: absolutely or they would not have brought this case to begin with I mean I think this was this was um, a, a-, a- an effort that they believe will pay off for them. They, um, the Democrats, you know, typically believe that the more people turn out, the the better they will do. Um, and so they are they are just really trying to give an option to get their folks to the polls. You know, one of the interesting things has been that um, you know some some municip- some uh, counties are also offering Sunday voting, and some mm-hmm. of that voting is occurring in counties that are more much more heavily Democratic. Um, so I think that I think that this will definitely be a plus for the Warnock folks. But you know, I, I guess it's difficult to imagine this making it way through this appeal making its way through the court. But you know, stranger things have happened. I mean, this ruling came on Friday pretty quickly, so you know, it is remotely possible. I suppose that you know there could be a different ruling on this. But uh, but yeah, we're we're running into a holiday week, and it really does seem unlikely at this point.
1: You know, Andre and Ellen, I was struck by uh, this argument that I had not realized before, that there were 15,600 people who voted early on December 26th in uh, the 2020 uh, uh, runoff election. That's nothing to sneeze at. That's a sizable number of voters.
2: It isn't. I mean, and you know, in 2020, I actually voted on early on Christmas Eve in a Santa hat because I, I had to do something to make it fun because <laughs> I was stuck here. Um, I couldn't go home. So I, you know, so yeah, I mean, I I think we underestimate what people's schedules are like. And I think sometimes, especially if you're in a white collar job, you take for granted that other people have different types of work schedules and that they need that type of flexibility. And flexibility seems to be what voters value um, here in Georgia, which is why I think we see this proliferation of early voting. The other thing that's important, and I think, you know, this is also part of the reason why uh, Senator Warnock would do this, and not just Senator Warnock, but Reverend Warnock, who organized souls to the polls for his own church, is that if you look at when people vote early, it's true in this state, you will see uh, spikes in African-American voter turnout on the weekends um, in early voting. So, like, this is a real thing, and it does matter, especially in a race that's going to be this close.
1: Yeah, I,
3: I, agree, I agree with that. And uh, by the way, I think the uh, Saturday voting is this coming Saturday. Is that not right? Uh, the Saturday after let Thanksgiving? Let me go back and
1: I, is, I believe yeah. it. Oh, it is. It's the Saturday after Thanksgiving. Thank you. I right. keep forgetting we're already yeah. in Thanksgiving. Because go by ahead. the
3: following <laughs> Saturday, we're already coming right up yes. on the election. Yes. So, yeah.
1: Thank you very much I think you it's, I think it's
3: significant. Given, given the very limited number of days of early voting that we're going to have here, because it's such a short time period now between um, the general election and the runoff, um, I think it's significant that you're going to have this uh, day of Saturday voting uh, and, and sun- Sunday voting in a number of, of counties. Uh, and I think that will have an impact on turnout. And uh, you know, I think the Warnock campaign is probably correct that this is something that, that they will benefit from, uh, given that early voting is used disproportionately by Democratic voters. And so, sure, if you didn't have the Saturday voting, some of those early voters would move to voting early during the week or or voting on Election Day. But um, I can't think that this won't at least have some uh, positive effect for the Warnock campaign.
1: So I want to, Alan, while the ball's in your court, let me start with you on this. Um, I I want to remind our listeners that um, this four-week Period between the general election and the runoff election is a vastly reduced period over what we saw in the 2020 election. That was a uh, nine-week period between the general and the runoff election. And and one of the reasons I mention that now is that um, although this ruling applies to statewide Saturday voting, If you start looking at how various counties are adding early voting days, we couldn't even take the time on this show to go through each county, which is going to have a Sunday vote. Some counties are having uh, votes later this week. I think at least one Decab, that I know is having early voting on Wednesday. So, um, first of all, I think we need to say to our listeners, make sure you check with your My Voter page at the Secretary of State's office. and see where early voting is, and then uh, uh, figure out how to vote when you can. But, Alan, I also wonder if that patchwork of various states isn't going to suppress turnout, which could already be problematic given the people who may be weary of going out to the polls.
3: Well, it could cause some confusion, I suppose, um, that people may not be sure when, when they can early vote. Um, but I, I suspect people will figure that out. Um there's going to be a lot of publicity, uh, I think, about the day when early voting is available. We're seeing a lot. Of po- I'm seeing a lot of posters out already in the cab about about voting early. Uh, one thing that's significant, though, about the four week as opposed to the nine week interval, is that with the four week interval, um, there's no time for anyone to register to vote. Um, we won't get any new registered voters. And in that last runoff, with nine weeks, there was enough time. You had you had a significant number of people who registered to vote for the first time um, before the runoff election that was in the thousands. And, um, you know, in a close election, that that could make a difference as well. So that's got another another way in which um, shortening the interval between the general election and the runoff is could potentially impact the results.
1: Well, then then um, we can move beyond whether people are going to, you know, really know when they have early voting in their, uh, county. I mean, I was confused a minute ago about when the Saturday is, mm-hmm. and I sort of pay attention to this mm-hmm. stuff. But, Shannon, the next question about all that, of course, is are people a little weary of trudging back to the polls to cast ballots? Or are the stakes so high in this election in many – in different ways that uh, people will be energized, Shannon? <laughs>
0: I mean, this is purely anecdotal. I have no science to back this up, but, you know, being out on the campaign trail and talking to folks, there is a certain weariness that some people are talking about. Um, You know, it's almost the, you know, the boy cried wolf syndrome. It's this is the most important election of your lifetime. You have to get out to vote. And we've been hearing that for, you know, several cycles and several years now. And so, you know, it's a little tough for people to continue to keep that level of intensity up. That said, I really do think that the, you know, the sort of hardcore Backers of the Republican and, and Democratic parties and, and candidates will make it back out. I think where you might see some you know fade off is those you know independent or swing voters who you know are going to come out to vote when it's a, a full race, but you know may have other things on their mind right at, right between Thanksgiving and Christmas, and and may not believe again that this is the most important race of our of our lifetime. You know the other thing is that obviously, as we know now, Senate control is not at issue. And so I think for some people, they may lose a little bit of interest because, you know, this will not determine the outcome of the Senate one way or the other. So if they've got something else going on that day, perhaps that'll be what takes their attention. Um, But again, the weariness, weariness I think, is real, but it is also very anecdotal.
2: (laughs) Um, You know, I mean, part of this is, you know, a a civics education thing that, like, We have elections all the time. Part of the responsibilities of citizenship are, you know, participating in these elections. I think that there are things we can do to kind of ease the burden, right? This would be a case where ranked choice voting would have settled all this a lot sooner. Um, But, uh, you know, uh, we don't want to have that conversation yet in the state, and there would be some learning that would go along with it. Um, But ultimately, I think the the, the lethargy that, that, that Shannon is speaking to really sort of is going to predict uh, who ends up winning or losing this race? This is this is is a war of attrition at this point, And it's just a question of which candidate has the least attrition. And so it's incumbent on both parties. And I think we see evidence that both sides are doing everything that they possibly can to try to minimize the attrition on their side in the hopes that it's worse on the other side and that they emerge victorious um, on on December 6th. Um, and I think in particular for Democrats, they have a lot of to like lose by this race. So not just losing the seat that they won back two years ago, but they lose the argument for a couple of years that 2020 wasn't an outlier, it wasn't some type of aberration. Mm-hmm. So I think that there's a ton of incentive on the Democratic side to try to make sure that they hold on to the seat. That way they can say that they won one, uh, you know, one statewide seat um, over the course of this election cycle. And Republicans have an incentive to try to stop that narrative and to try to declare Georgia pink again. So, uh, you know, so I think that there's a a lot at stake. And I think that that is you see this manifested in the advertising spending and the GOTV efforts that look like they've stepped up since uh, since Election Day. So there's a lot that's going on here. And ultimately, which side loses the fewest people is going to be the one that wins?
3: Uh, I think that's I think that's exactly right. Um, The interesting question to me is, I mean, you know, we typically you see a pretty big fall off in turnout between the general election and the runoff. I mean, um, 2020, what happened in the last last runoff in January of 21 was unusual, that we had uh, such a high turnout relative to the general election, 90% turnout. Uh, It's normally closer to about 60%. So that will be very interesting to see. Um, The fact that Senate control is not at stake in this election, though, is it's clearly going to means that I think there's going to be a little bit less incentive for people to turn out and vote. And the question is, who does that affect the most? Um, mm-hmm. I think there were some Republican voters who voted for Herschel Walker despite having reservations about him because of the fact that Senate control was at stake. That was the primary issue, I think, on the minds of, of a lot of voters in, in the first round of voting. With that no longer involved, the question is, will these Republican voters bother to turn out to cast a ballot for Herschel Walker, who they, some of them might have you know, reservations about, given that it's no longer ab- ab- about Senate control? On the other hand, from the other side, Warnock benefited from having a, a, a substantial number of Camp Warnock split ticket voters. Um, and the question is now, will those folks turn out again? And uh, will they continue to vote for Warnock? So, you know, I I think there's just a lot of unknowns here. Um, And it's hard to say, really, you know, which which side really has the advantage.
1: Um, Andra, let's talk about that split ticket voting. Um, If you go back and look at the numbers from the midterms, uh, 200,000 voters who cast their ballot for uh, Brian Kemp did not cast their ballot for Herschel Walker. That's obviously a substantial number of people. Walker and Kemp kept their distance from one another during the general election campaign. But this weekend, Brian Kemp held a rally up in Smyrna for Herschel Walker and really urged people to turn out to vote for Walker. Talk about that with us.
2: Well, I mean, so we we see the parties closing ranks around their candidates. And so, you know, you you don't have to like Herschel Walker, but he is the Republican nominee for Senate. And this is the last race to be decided. And so nobody would want to be on record saying, especially not the governor of the state, saying, yeah, you know what, I'm okay with, like, my party losing the Senate seat. Yeah, no. So, um, you know, uh, uh, Governor chip is doing what one would expect him to do. And I think the question is, is he going to do it someplace else? And he's gonna, is he going to do it in a place where, like, there aren't a whole lot of Democratic voters? So, you know, going into, you know, a light blue part, uh, you know, of, 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 of metro Atlanta, is a lot different than, say, you know, doing it up in Rome or, or doing it in South Georgia someplace. But, I mean, the idea that that, that Kemp has turned over his GOTV um, operation, his field operation, to Walker, I think sort of highlights what's important in this race. And this is all about turnout. It's not about persuasion at this point anymore. And so Governor Kemp is doing all the right things and, and things that I would expect him to do, with, you know, to help out a fellow Republican.
1: Shannon?
2: Yeah, I was going to say,
0: I think while while the appearance over this weekend was significant, right? It was good to, you know, I'm sure it was great for Walker's campaign to get that picture of the two of them together. I'm sure we'll probably see that in ads pretty soon. Um, I think perhaps the more important thing moving forward is what Andre just mentioned about the um, you know GOTV uh, efforts. I think they're the the National Republican uh, National Republican Senate Committee. I'm sorry, I'm blanking on the name of the PAC. Senate Leadership Fund, uh, which is run by McConnell, is um, spending two million dollars to basically get Kemp's ground game operation. So this is not coming free, um, but but it is coming. And th- and as we saw, you know that was pretty effective in getting out the vote for Kemp. You know, and on the flip side, Senate Democrats are spending somewhere in the neighborhood of I think six or seven million dollars, you know, to get get out the vote efforts for Warnock. So. You know, when we talk about whether or not folks know about early voting and where early voting is going to be, you know, there, yes, there are some public service announcements. But I also think folks are going to be contacted by these, by these uh, uh, party operations who are going to be doing all they can very aggressively to get folks back out. Um, so I think those efforts, millions and millions of dollars in these next couple of weeks are going to be spent, you know, making sure folks know when, when to vote, where to vote and who to vote for.
1: So um, I I, I thank you for adding that the GOTV effort is what really is going to help inform people about where the early voting days are in in their counties. And, you know, we're used to the fact, Shannon, that thinking about going back all the way to 2018, that Stacey Abrams and Fair Fight Action built uh, a, a spectacular GOTV organization to identify their voters. And Republicans took note. They also had the, were behind on that in 2020, and uh, they really this year caught up to the Democrats in, uh, in getting voters to the polls and in building a, an important organization, Shannon, to do that.
0: There's nothing like losing an election to inspire you to improve your game, right? Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, the Republicans came out of that uh, – uh, of uh, 2020 and 2021, knowing that um, that their future was going to depend on them really coming up and matching the game of the Democrats in the future game on. You know, now we're, we're looking at a state that's about 50 50. They don't have that sort of built in advantage that they've had for the last number of years. So, you know, they, they are pretty clear that their future is going to depend on um, on doing exactly as well as the Democrats do in terms of turnout.
1: Shannon, before we get off the uh, Kemp-Walker team effort now, I I saw an item as I was looking at the jolt this morning, and I didn't see a lot of detail about it. Perhaps you can help us with this. I saw an item that there are Georgia Democrats who are now saying, um, you voted for Brian Kemp and Raphael Warnock. You split your ballot, and Brian Kemp's done a pretty good job as governor, but now it's time to go out and make sure you cast your ballot for uh, Raphael Warnock going forward. I, I find that to be a really interesting message considering all the time and money Democrats put into uh, demonizing uh, Kemp during the election.
0: Yeah, well, again, you know, it, it's all about survival, right? I mean, you know, you if Stacey Abrams loses, you're willing to move on from her and bring, you know, uh, dance with the one who brought you. Um, so I think there is, you know, definitely a sense that they're trying to capitalize on that, you know, Independence, you know that. That I think one of the most shocking things and surprising things about this past election, you know, we've talked about politics being so tribal and that you're on one team or the other team and you don't leave your team. And you know, we saw in the midterm elections that people were actually willing to vote for the person, not the party. Um, You know, which frankly I find very refreshing because it just shows you that you know people are actually looking at what the candidates talk about rather than making and perhaps even what we write. You know, as opposed to um, just you know going down and voting a straight ticket. So yeah, I think the Democrats at this point are are willing to take whoever's willing to come their way.
1: There's a lot more to talk about. Yeah, go ahead, Alan. Go
3: ahead. Yeah, I think trying to get those those ticket splitters back out. uh, The the Kemp Warnock. voters and trying to get them to come back out and vote again for Warnock is going to be a key part of the Democratic strategy. However, let's not overstate the amount of ticket splitting that's going on here. Um, It's still the case that probably over 90% of the voters here cast a straight party ticket. Um, If we look around the country, we see the vast majority of voters are still voting a straight party ticket. There were a few cases where you had vote, elections for governor and senator where we saw a pretty big split. Um, Georgia was one, but it wasn't. This wasn't nearly as big as it was, say, in some place like New Hampshire, um, where you had a really big split, or, or, or Vermont, where it was a ginormous split between Senate and governor. So there are uh, circumstances under which voters will split their ticket, but those are generally the exception, not the rule. I want to bring up one other thing, and I'm sure we'll, and we're going to talk about this further. There's one other big, big name that's looming over this race in addition to Brian Kemp, and, and, and that's Donald Trump. Uh, and I think mm. that's where Democrats are hoping that Donald Trump is going to be, provide them with a huge boost in getting their, uh, their voters to, to turn out for this runoff.
1: Yeah, we're going to get into that uh, after we get to a break. But before we get to a break, um, I do want to, just for a moment, go back to this notion of control of the Senate. And so I do think there's something interesting about this, Andra. While it's certainly true that the best Republicans can do here is uh, equalize the divide between uh, Democrats and Republicans in the Senate, which, of course, keeps it in Democratic control, thanks to the vice president uh, who breaks the uh, vote, breaks tie votes. But but there is an argument that's kind of subtle and not you certainly can't put it on a campaign bumper sticker that for the Democrats to have one more member in the U.S. Senate means they don't have to have a sharing of power arrangement. They, it does give them one more vote toward passage of some of the things they care about, judges' appointments, that sort of thing. They no longer have to worry about a Joe Manchin or whatever. But it's, that's not an argument that you're going to be able to use, I don't think, to energize voters.
2: I think it's, it's nuanced. And so I, I, I do point to the things that uh, you, uh, you you mentioned, which I think are really inside baseball and political junkies will care about those kinds of things. Um, I think that, um, you know, lay audiences will totally hear the if Kirsten Cinema or Joe Manchin. So it's not and or, but it's or. Mm-hmm. You know decides that they need to defect then you know there is a spare democratic vote that they can go after i think that that as people who pay attention to politics uh but maybe don't aren't junkies will, will will resonate with them um you know i think that the larger issue in terms of senate control is what happens to the conflicted republican voters so the kemp warnock voter or the kemp oliver voter in this instance and i think it's a question of whether the turnout of that particular group uh is altered by the change in control of the Senate. Like uh, you know, some of those people could have perhaps been persuaded if they were strong enough Republican partisans to come out and vote for Walker because Senate control was at stake. Republicans don't have that argument as you know, kind of like in their quiver this time around. So I think it will be really interesting to see what will happen on top of just general I'm tired of this. I'm, you know, got too much tryptophan in my system, don't feel like coming out for uh, the contest
1: will look like again. Shannon, one, one last word before our break. Uh, I was
2: just going to add
0: very quickly that I was out with um, Senator Warnock this weekend up in Forsyth County, which was interesting enough as it is that he was in Forsyth County, which is Republican. But he said several times, "51 is better than 50. 51 is better than 50." So he is trying to hit that message a bit.
3: It affects all okay. uh, committees, you... by the way. It it yes. it affects. There... It gives the Democrats a majority on on each committee if they get 51 yeah, right, right. right now committees are split evenly
1: because mm-hmm. of the power sharing arrangement That's yeah right. so thank that, you Let, let's do this mm-hmm. let's get our first break of the show out of the way obviously we have a lot more to talk about in terms of this senate runoff we'll do it in a moment
0: thanks for listening to political rewind if you like this show you'll also like georgia today
1: Ellen Abramowitz, Andre Gillespie, and Shannon McCaffrey join me for Political Rewind. Quick note about the Political Rewind schedule this week. We will be with you uh, live at 9 in the morning and a repeat at 2 in the afternoon through Wednesday because there's too much happening for us to take much more time off than we will on Thursday and Friday. Uh, and be back with live shows again next week. Uh, But we are going to take that Thanksgiving break on Thursday and Friday, unless something gargantuan happens. uh, (laughs) We need to be on the air on Friday. And with this race, who knows what uh, might happen. I also want to say one more thing about Thanksgiving. I'm going to do this on all of our shows this week. One of the things I am so thankful for is that we've had, in this case, Ellen Abramowitz, Andre Gillespie, working to be part they have been part of this show since really the very beginning eight years ago and i am so thankful to them and to the many other voices that you hear on political rewind they really have made my life just a joy to be able to listen to them talk about politics so alan (laughs) and andre you are people i'm going to be giving thanks to this week and shannon mccaffrey (laughs) it's wonderful now that you're back at the ajc and have been for a while to have you Uh, be part of uh, the conversations as we move forward. So thank you very much to all of you. Alan, I want to make another quick historical note, because you were talking about split-ticket voting. One of the most interesting runoff elections I think the state has ever seen was the 1992 Senate runoff between Democrat Weich Fowler, who was the incumbent at that time, and Republican Paul Coverdale. In 1992, Bill Clinton had won Georgia. He came to Georgia to campaign for Weich Fowler, who couldn't get over the 50% uh, threshold. And despite having a giant rally in Macon, apparently there were enough people who were splitting their, their votes between. You know, after what they'd done in the presidential election that Paul Coverdale kind of shocked the state by beating Weich Fowler for Reelection. I think that was a really, int- for me, one of the most interesting runoffs I've ever seen in Georgia.
3: It, it was a shocking result because Republicans just didn't win elections in Georgia um, back in, in those days. Um, but really, maybe not quite as shocking uh, when you look at what was going on in the presidential election. Of course, it was a three way race. Um, and and, you know, so Bill Clinton uh, only won Georgia by a pretty narrow Margin in, in in that in that three-way race, and uh, you know it's, it's so. Uh, I think it wasn't really when you look back at it, probably that that surprising that Paul Coverdell was able to win the runoff.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Shannon. Alan's uh, already raised the question. What about Donald Trump and the impact that you believe, and we'll get everybody in on this? His presence as a candidate in 2024 is going to mean for Herschel Walker. Democrats have quickly seized upon the fact that during his rambling announcement speech, he specifically said, we've got to get out and cast ballots for Herschel Walker in Georgia. We need him in the Senate. Do you think that's helpful to Herschel Walker or to Raphael Warnock?
0: Boy, that's an open question, but I honestly think the answer might have been different had the results been different. Um, uh, on the midterms. Uh, You know, I mean, I think Donald Trump, as we've seen, came out of those midterm elections with the majority of his, you know, candidates that where the races were contested. I mean, he likes to talk about the the sheer number of endorsements that he had that were um, accurate, but so many of those were seats that weren't in any way competitive. But, you know, when you look at the seats that were competitive, when you look at Cary Lake in Nevada, when you look at you know, some of the other seats where he, I'm sorry, Carrie Lake in Arizona early, um, you know, he, he didn't do well. Um I, mean, I think there's widespread agreement that, you know, his candidates didn't do well, that the folks who were um, adopting his, you know, election denial theme did not do well. There's they you know, some of the races were close, but most of them, um, most of them lost. And so I, I don't know that Trump is going to be a, a real help to, to Walker. I mean, I, I think that, you know, had he come out of that midterm race stronger, you know, had his, has his, had his candidates done better, maybe you would have seen him coming to Georgia, perhaps. I- I'd be surprised to see him here now. Um, I-, I don't think that the, the benefit to Herschel Walker's team is worth the risk and the risk being polarizing anyone, you know, in the middle.
1: Andre the new commercial that the War- Warnock people have put up is stop Trump, stop Walker. Doesn't get much more direct than that. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I mean, and I'm not surprised that the Warner team would try to use that because that might actually uh, convey a sense of urgency to some Democratic voters who don't necessarily see, you know, sort of what the point is of coming out to vote again, especially if Senate control has already been decided. I I think in general, I'm kind of with Shannon um, on the idea that I don't think that Trump really factors much into this race um, unless he inserts himself in a really bad way. Um, I will say that at the very least, his full-throated endorsement of Herschel Walker um, on Tuesday in his announcement, um, you know, didn't do any harm. Right. So it's not like he said anything crazy, like he said on January 4th, uh, 2021, when he was just like, you know, your vote doesn't count. Um, and, you know, uh, you know, ends up kind of uh, dampening voter turnout in heavily Republican areas that could have spelled the difference between um, Kelly Leffler and, and David Perdue winning and, and, and losing the race. So I don't think he did harm there, but at the end of the day, um, his words are not going to direct campaign dollars towards Walker. I think people, you know, there are other channels by which Walker is going to attract money. And um, as I think Alan's data sort of proves rallies announcements, like big splashy events like that, don't vote. And if we want to get people to turn out to vote, it's really the work that's being done on the doors and on the phone lines that matters. It's really not what Donald Trump says, you know, in a throwaway line on a speech.
1: Alan.
3: Well, I, I'm sure the Democrats are hoping that Donald Trump will come down and campaign for Herschel Walker. Um, my guess is that that he won't, or that the Republicans will persuade him, um, or put up a roadblock at the entrance to try to keep him out. Um, what I think the, the Warnock campaign is going to try to do, and what we saw, what we've already seen, with in, in the ad that they released, is try to use. Trump's uh, uh, visibility and presence and announcement that he's running for president again to motivate Democratic voters to turn out. Um, so I think that, that's where the impact could potentially be. Nothing motivates Democratic voters uh, to turn out than uh, the thought that, that, that this could, um, that their vote could, could help stop Donald Trump. So I, I think we'll prob- probably see more uh, messaging uh, uh, along those lines by the Democrats.
0: Yeah. And one more thing I wanted to add, and this is a complete wild card, but, you know, Elon Musk just announced that Trump will come back on Twitter. And so, you know, we could start hearing more from Donald Trump than we've heard in a while um, if he's back on that platform, assuming the platform survives. Um, but, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and so who knows? I mean, if he gets back on Twitter and starts really, um, you know, going uh, rogue with some of his comments, you know, he could inject himself into the race in a way that could be interesting. Will it matter? Probably not. But but it is just a wild card in the in the equation.
1: Yeah. So I, I just wanted to I, I go ahead. Yeah.
2: I mean, I'm not sure Trump's coming back to Twitter. Uh, I saw on the Hill that he was just like, whatever. He's not interested, and especially given the fact that he's trying to build up Truth Social. Like he doesn't have the incentive to be let back on there. So, you know, I just, you know, in some ways, you could kind of see the diffusion of Trump actually ending up coming to to not much here.
1: Um, The question I would ask, Andre, though, is I think that makes sense. Trump has got a lot of um, money invested in Truth Social. He's got a lot of investors who really come forward. But come on, can Donald Trump really resist at some point uh, (laughs) starting to send messages out on Twitter?
2: You know, I I don't know. I I can't speculate about that. And given all of the sort of turmoil that that Twitter is in now, um, you know, uh, so there are lots of academics who are basically like, you know, joking about, oh, this is my last tweet. Oh, this is my last tweet. I'm moving to Mastodon, which I just I can't wrap my head around right now. So, um, you know, honestly, I'm I'm not sure. Right. You know, yeah. Young people, my nine year old niece looked and he saw me on Twitter. she's like, "Oh, old people, and then she wanted to read what I was doing. so they're like, yeah, I'm not sure that it actually matters in the same way. it matters to journalists, it matters to academics, uh but like it's not necessarily you know it, it may not be worth it's at anymore so
1: yeah yeah. Per- personally, I, it's I'm, gonna...
3: I'm, yeah i'm I'm planning on moving to woolly mammoth <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, I, I, You know, I, I don't want to get diverted out to Elon Musk particularly, but, you know, as long as his name has come up, Alan, and we are going to go back to the Senate race, I think that right now would be a fascinating time. We're not going to do it on this show, but I think we will. How does a person like Elon Musk, richest person in the world, go from being thought of as an eccentric but nevertheless brilliant innovator uh, in terms of uh, electric vehicles, uh, SpaceX— to becoming one of the most hated people in America in a matter of weeks. It's, just, it's really a bizarre phenomenon, Alan. It certainly is. Um, and
3: I just, at this point, I mean, given the resignations, given the fact that, um, you know, he seems to be operating in violation of all sorts of government re- regulations, both here and, and in Europe, it's hard for me to imagine that Twitter is going to survive in its, in its current form as long, as, as, long as, he's, uh, as he's running the company. So um, I don't really think it matters very much one way or the other whether Donald Trump gets back on Twitter at this point. Um, and my guess is that he probably won't bother, uh, you know, given, given the condition that that, that platform is in.
1: All right. I apologize for taking us off topic because I still have questions I want to ask this panel about the Senate runoff. Let's get our final break of the show out of the way and come back with more. As we do this show live at nine, uh, the 9 o'clock hour on Monday morning, Chase McGee let me know a little while ago that the uh, Secretary of State's Office has in fact gone ahead and filed suit to stop the uh, uh, early Saturday voting from going into effect. As we've said already, uh, there's so little time between now and this Saturday, which would be the early voting Saturday, that we don't know what the courts uh, can do, uh, whether they'll even be able to take it up. Um, I want to talk in a moment about the importance of Robert McBurney, the, other, the chief judge of Fulton County Court, uh, in, in uh, saying that the Georgia abortion law is unconstitutional. What impact that might have on the race. But, but before we do that, Andre and Alan, your colleague Bernard Fraga, um, released some data that he crunched after looking at the Secretary of State's numbers on who turned out on November 8th or for the November 8th election. And, and Andra, I'm I'm curious what you make of the fact that um, that overall voter participation dropped in 2022 compared to the last midterm, 2018, and that um, Bernard's take on that, as he looked at the numbers, was we had lower turnout among Black and Hispanic voters and a slight increase in white turnout. So we can go look at that in retrospect, but also the question is, what do the campaigns see when they see that and what they need to do for in the next couple of weeks?
2: Well, I, I'm not surprised uh, by the data that we saw. So Bernard and I had told, we were talking about this a couple of
1: weeks ago, particularly
2: with respect to African-American turnout. And so one of the things that was interesting in the early voter data was it looked like high propensity black voters showed up and cast their ballots early, right? And so we saw, like, it looked like, oh, there's going to be pretty robust black voter turnout. Now, the way that we talk about it on this show and the way that Bernard the numbers are a little different, so it's important to know what the denominator is. So usually when we've been talking about it, we've been tracking black share of the overall electorate. So of the people who cast ballots, what percentage of them are African-American? And so so long as it's in the neighborhood of about 29 and a half percent, which is the proportion of registered voters in the state who are black, blacks are actually keeping up with their, you know, with their numbers in the electorate. That's different than the way that Bernard uh, looked at it. He was just looking at each uh, subgroup of folks, how many registered voters there are and how many of those people turned out to vote. So the voter turnout rates that got reported in the AJC were based on that. And both, you know, are, you know, accurate ways of, of, of talking about voter turnout, but, but they are different. And so what we saw was that As a share of the proportion of people who are registered to vote, you see higher turnout rates among white and Asian-American voters and lower turnout rates amongst black um, and Hispanic voters. Uh, It it sort of fits what the overall exit poll picture looks like. Uh, So in that respect, it wasn't surprising. I think that the numbers certainly betray, one, the fact that in general, turnout in midterm elections tends to be older and whiter. And so I don't think that there's any surprise there. And that people were particularly motivated to turn out in 2018, which was a wave Democratic year and a year where Stacey Abrams was running for the first time on the ballot. And there was some excitement about that. I think it it goes to sort of prove uh, sort of the need to do continued engagement in communities of color. So I think we're seeing the fruits of that in terms of Asian-American voter turnout, Um, even though I'll point out that in the early voting season, the turnout amongst Asian-Americans and Hispanic voters was actually really low. Um, and I think that there are growth opportunities there, and I think that there are some organizing that needs to be done. I know one of my postdocs this semester uh, does work uh, with uh, GLAR, uh, which organizes uh, around immigration and human rights issues in the Latinx community, and I know that they have organizers that are around the state, and so I know that they're going to be looking for more support so that they can continue to do that work and scale it up, because there seems to be sort of a you know a. a an important need to try to drive up turnout amongst all groups within the state um, and, and in groups of eligible voters. And so there just seems like there, there's more work to be done. And and part of the reason why we see lower turnout amongst communities of color is that they don't get the same type of contact that whites usually get. So it's, it's better among blacks, but there's still lots of room for growth among Asian American and, 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 and Hispanic voters to go out and canvas and phone bank and and, and, and welcome them to voting the same way we welcome everybody else.
1: So, Alan, um, one of the other things about, <clears throat> excuse me, the, this data uh, seems to me to be that um, during early voting, uh, as we tracked it on, on this show, we saw extraordinary early voting turnout. We and even the Secretary of State's office said we're headed for m- record midterm election turnout. Uh, it didn't develop uh, in, in the long run. It was uh, there was slightly lower. Uh, turnout uh, than in the 2018 election. And and again, looking to uh, this runoff election, the question is energizing voters. If, if If people were not as energized to turn out for the general, you've already made the point. The question is whether they are going to get energized to turn out for a runoff.
3: Right. So <clears throat> I think it's important to put this in perspective, right? In 2018, we had an extraordinarily high turnout for a midterm election. It was the highest turnout uh, in a midterm election in over 100 years. Um, so the fact that turnout is not quite as high in 2022 is not that surprising, and still, we still had a relatively high turnout across the country. We also, however, had a shift in who was voting. And it's pretty clear, I think, from looking at both the national data and the data that, um, that Bernard was uh, crunching for Georgia, that this was a, an older, wider uh, more Republican electorate than what we've had in either 2020 or in 2018. That was true nationally, and I think it was true here in Georgia. Uh, Democrats nonetheless um, did surprisingly well, despite the fact that the electorate was you know, shifted to, uh, to the right, because Democrats did very well, uh, won uh, the independent vote, which is somewhat surprising in a midterm election with an unpopular Democrat in the White House and because Democrats did well in a lot of the swing states in a lot of the most competitive races. Um, So there was a disjunction here between sort of like what we were seeing happening in a lot of these key races and what the sort of big national picture looks like. It looks like Republicans won the national popular vote for the House of Representatives by around three points, possibly even a little more than three points, you know, which would generally translate into a somewhat larger Republican majority than what we're likely uh, uh, to end up with, but I think you have to look at you know what was going on in those uh, in those you know 30 or 40 uh, uh, competitive races.
1: Okay, um, so Shannon, let's talk about another issue that has uh, popped up in this runoff. Um, Robert McBurney uh, ruled that the Georgia restrictive abortion law was unconstitutional. Uh, he said that uh, since it was passed and signed into law during a time when Roe v. Wade was still the law of the land, it therefore uh, wasn't uh, wasn't legal. Um, it, obviously the state, the Secretary of State is, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, the Attorney General Chris Carr has already appealed uh, the ruling, but you've written a story about the impact it might have on the Senate race, which I'll add is interesting to me since, the US Senate if you're not going to send to to the Senate someone who is going to be able to pass a, either a national abortion ban or codify abortion into law nationally tell us why how it plays into the runoff
0: yeah i mean you're absolutely right i mean whoever whoever wins this senate race uh, is not going to you know change abortion uh, laws either nationally or in georgia Um, But I think what's interesting is that, you know, you have two candidates who are polar opposite in what they say about abortion. You've got Raphael Warnock, who is very, very supportive of abortion rights. You've got Herschel Walker, who has said he opposed abortion in all instances, although he sort of adjusted that a little bit and said he, you know, he backs the, the Georgia heartbeat bill um, and would also back Lindsey Graham's national abortion ban at 15 weeks. So you have two candidates who are very, very sharply divided on this. And then you also have you know, an electorate that, that is now seeing this come up again, right? It's reminding them that this is an issue that's still there. It's still in flux. Um, You know, in Georgia right now, Robert McBurney's decision actually blocked the law, meaning that presumably abortions between um, that would have been prevented can now go forward. Um, The state has asked the Supreme Court to reinstate that block, at least while the appeal goes forward. So I think it's just it's volatile. It it shows that the issue is still very volatile. And I think it reminds folks on both sides um, that this is still a large issue and and people feel very strongly about this one way or the other. I I think that, you know, in the, in the aftermath of the Dobbs decision, there was um, some speculation that interest in this might fade, um, you know, and that, that inflation and other economic issues would take over. And we did see that the economy and inflation were were very, very important issues. I think nine out of 10 voters, according to exit polls ranked that first, but abortion was second. Abortion was 70% of, um, of, of voters according to exit polls said it was either an important issue um or the most important issue for them. So I think for some folks, you know, who who may have maybe thinking about other things, this places this ble- back in the news, back on the front burner and reminds them of what's at stake.
3: Yeah, I, I agree. I I agree. I, I think that uh, uh this is going to uh probably put uh even more emphasis on 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 that issue. Um and and uh I think it's something that, that Raphael Warnock is, is going to – and the Democrats are going to play up because the abortion – the Dobbs decision is unpopular. Um, majority of Georgia voters disapprove of that decision as do voters across the whole country. Um, and I think that by putting this issue back in the forefront, forcing the state and forcing Republican candidates and elected officials to you know, kind of uh, re- repeat – uh, um, you know their pledges to, to uh, enact further restrictions on abortion it helps it, it, it can only help Democrats and I think particularly it may help warnock um, with with swing voters in the suburbs um, th- This is a, an issue that I think is p- potentially could move uh, some of those some of those swing voters in the suburbs, especially women um, in, to, to vote to uh, in the direction of warnock.
1: Uh, Andrew let me give you a chance to sum this all up before we are are out of time.
2: So, you know, abortion is an issue that can be used for micro-targeting. And in particular, Democrats are going to use this to target voters who care about this issue and who are becoming single-issue pro-choice voters in the same way that we've seen single-issue pro-life voters for the last 40, 50 years.
1: All right. Um, that's it. We are completely out of time and we haven't even touched all the uh, issues that I would love to get to. And we will as the week goes on around the Senate runoff election. But um, as I said earlier, uh, Andre Gillespie, Alan Abramovich, uh Shannon uh, McCaffrey, I'm so grateful to you for uh, being with us uh, today. I hope you all have wonderful Thanksgiving holidays and um, I look forward to having you back soon on Political Rewind. That's it. We're completely out of time for today's show. Back with another show uh, tomorrow. In the meantime, I'm Bill Naggett. Please take care, stay healthy, and if you're not with us for the rest of this week, have a great Thanksgiving. Bye-bye, everybody.